I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the number's 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. You know what? You're right. This isn't true serum, because I don't feel anything. That was a lie. I do feel something. This is true serum. There's no such thing. Okay. Okay, okay. Now I'm gonna make this real easy for you, Luis. Okay. Where is Scott Lang? Well, see, that's complicated. Because when I first met Scotty, he was in a bad place. And I'm not talking about Cell Black D. His wife had just filed for divorce. And I was like, damn, homie, she dumped him when you're on lockup? And he was like, yeah, I know. I thought I was going to be with her forever. But now I'm all alone. And I was like, damn, homie, you know what? You got to chin up because you'll find a new partner. But you know what? I'm Luis. And he says, you know what? I'm Scotty. And we're going to be best friends. Okay, hold on, hold on. I like a good story as much as the next person, but what in the hell does this have to do with where Scott Lang is? I'm getting there, I'm getting there. You put a dime in him, you gotta let the whole song play out. He's like human jukebox. Oh, my abuelita had a jukebox in the restaurant. Yeah, only played Morrissey. And if anybody ever complained, she'd be like, oh, no te gusta más? You know, Chicanos, we call them más. Then adios. Uh, what can I say? You know, we relate to his melancholy ballads, you know? Lang. Right, 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 right. So anyway, this guy gets out of jail and he starts working for Hank. That's when he met Hope. And Hope's all like, I want nothing to do with you. Look at my hair, dude. I'm all business. And then Scotty's like, you know what, girl? My heart is all broken and I'll probably never find love again. But damn if I want to kiss you. But then you fast forward and they're all like into each other, right? And then Scotty's like, you know what? I can't tell you this, but I'm going to go trash in the airport with Captain America. And then she said, I can't believe you split like that. Smell you later, dummy. So Scotty goes on house arrest and he won't admit it. But his heart is all like, damn, I thought Hope could have been my new true partner, but I blew it. But fate brought him back together and then Hope's heart is all, I'm worried that I can't trust him and he's gonna screw up again and ruin everything. And then my heart is all like that fancy raspberry filling represents the company's red and we're days away from going out of business. Oh! Out of business. Days away? Damn, truth serum! And you know, I, I was trying to protect you guys. I swear to God, you know, I was trying to be a good boss, but we're broke and the Carpenters are last hope and if we don't show up, we're done. That's terrible bossing. Damn, bro! That's on me, that's on me. Hey! Enough. I'm gonna ask you one more time. 
Where is Scott Lang? I've been trying to tell you, he's in a tricky spot, emotionally speaking. Emotionally speaking? Well, where is Scott Lang? Literally speaking! Oh, the woods. The woods? <laughs> welcome to Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcome to a new guest to the show, and that is Zach Walliner. Zach, how you doing today? I'm all right. How are you, Perry? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so what I like to do with new guests is to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the audience, tell them about who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff. Okay, sure. So uh, I am, hmm, where to start? I mean, I'm, uh, I, you know, my desk, my day job is boring. I have a desk job, uh, you know, doing tech support, but uh, I'm passionate for things like, you know, comics, comic movies, video games, uh, you know, um, you know, cartoons, uh, stop motion animation and, and puppetry right now. I'm actually in the process of trying to get a, uh, a business off the ground doing uh, magic puppet shows. So, um, you know, trying to do that. I, I like entertaining and entertaining kids and especially puppetry. I've been doing, you know, puppetry for a while now, but trying to take it further. And, you know, that's where my real passion lies. But yeah, as far as like comics and nerd stuff, I mean, I've been into that forever. Um, I think, X-Men, the 90s cartoon, really kicked things into high gear, and then that led to reading X-Men comics, and that led reading Marvel comics overall, and then that led to collecting Marvel action figures, and here I am, like, 600-plus Marvel Legends deep when I thought I was just going to collect, like, the 90s Jim Lee X-Men group initially, and that did not last. And, um, yeah, now the MCU is a whole thing, so I go see all of those in the theater, and uh, it's quite a time to be, uh, you know, a nerd, a geek. Yeah, very much so. Um, you ans- answered my next question that was going to be, like, how did you get into to comics and all that? So um, are you still mostly uh, an X-Men guy? Have you branched out to other stuff, or is X-Men still kind of like your, your core thing? Well, um Right now, I don't actively collect new comics. Um, there came to be a point where just financially and space-wise, it was taking up too much, especially after I got married and then I had kids. I have two young kids. Um, uh-huh. And uh, then even after I started moving over to digital in the Marvel app, uh, but even then, just cost-wise, I couldn't justify it anymore. But I am a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, so that's an app that's like a back catalog for people who don't know. And they have like thousands of previous Marvel titles and they get like the new ones six months late, I think. So you can still follow, but just be behind if you want to. But I've lost track of like all the, the big titles there. I was following Spider-Man for a while because I, you know, I thought, OK, he's still, you know, he's still he's Spider-Man. He's still, you know, the big, you know, Marvel guy. And they told some interesting stories. And but yeah, it's um, it's been a while since I've read any new uh, Marvel books, but I'm enjoying going in the back catalog a lot. What I do these days is if I see a piece of Marvel media, whether it's a, a TV show or a movie, especially if it's a character I'm not familiar with, then I go, okay, I like that. And let me go check out their background. So I'll like go to like the first appearance or like look up a good run. Um, after the werewolf by night, Halloween special on Disney plus, I dove into Man Thing and I read basically every appearance of his I could find. I, I read all of his solo runs and uh, you know appearances here and there, and I just got really into that character. I mean, it's he's something else. He, he doesn't speak at all. He's just this like mm-hmm. lurking mush monster in the swamp in Florida. And you know, there's a lot of 
repetition in the stories when they describe him and it's like oh those who know fear burn at the man things touch and you know they, that 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 phrase always comes up and they just talk about him and he basically he's sort of like this silent protector he kind of helps the innocent and there's you know it's a horror book the initial one basically so there are some crazy things there are sad things deaths and this and that but he kind of usually he's driven by emotion so he can he can feel bad emotion and that drives him crazy and especially fear. So then he goes after people to try to silence that fear because it just, it just drives him crazy. And so then like once that's done, he kind of goes back in the swamp and, and does his thing. But it was, I got really deep into him and I actually, for the holidays, uh, you know, over, uh, last year for Hanukkah, I actually, um, my wife got me a man thing shirt. It's funny. I guess it's, it's the crazy, you know, all seeing, web where like it was suggesting a man thing t-shirt from t public on my facebook feed and it's not like i actively mm-hmm. was posting about him but somehow it knew somehow my phone heard me and then my facebook was on my phone and then on facebook on my work computer somehow they're all spying on us all the time but it got me a mm-hmm. cool shirt it got me a cool shirt and you know and then i, I went in my my bins in my basement i found my uh, marvel legends action figures of him and you know sometimes i play with my daughter she's eight so you know we we get assorted figures and play but but yeah so like i i was i i was going off on the man thing tangent but in general you know i see one of the the movies or, or you know tv shows and then i go okay let me go back and look and i've done that with several things as um like uh the original homecoming spider-man movie came out i started at amazing fantasy 15 and then i was reading every issue of amazing from there and i've gotten you know i mean it's sporadic i've, I've been on and off as i would go off on a different character from something else I saw, but I've, I've gotten into like the nineties, um, you know, from there with every issue of every run of amazing up to that point, you know, sometimes I'd read one of the side books. I'm not doing every issue of spectacular and etc. but if there was a storyline where you had to read every issue, I would kind of do those, but yeah. So that, that's where I'm at. Just checking out old stuff, enjoying the back catalog. Yeah. When you get into the nineties stuff, that gets different. Cause that's, that's when they did kind of the Superman thing was doing in the nineties too, where it's like a story starts in amazing. And then part two is in spectacular. And then part three is in, and it's a, uh, it's a whole thing there. Um, uh, yeah, I hear a lot of what you're saying. Like it, I was doing uh, digital, got me back into, into comics. And for about a year or two, I was, you know, buying new stuff every week, uh, buying the new issues on comiXology. But then I got to a point where I'm just like it because the the storytelling, it, you know, it's so, you know, it's part one of whatever, however many parts. And when you're reading so many comics, I would got to the point where I'd get to the next issue, like new issue would come out. I buy it. I download it. I'd be and I'd start reading it and I'd be like, wait a minute, what the hell happened last time? And I have to go back and double check. And it's and plus the cost. And so I just ended up switching all to digital trades now. And I pretty much only wait for them to to come on sale. Um Marvel's great with that. Like they've got tons of their their stuff comes out like very quickly and they have sales like very, very frequently and like discounting a lot. Like I've gotten a lot of trades for like three, four bucks. Um, DC, it takes them a bit longer and it takes them even longer than that for any of their trades to go on sale. Like they'll have it'll be like three months or so after the storyline is finished for a trade comes out and it'll be like another six months before it comes down in price. So, so I'm a little bit slower on DC with that, but, uh, but Marvel has been really easy to keep up with. Um, and I tried the Marvel unlimited app for a little bit, uh, but I ended up, I got to a point where my to read pile on comiXology became so big that I'm like, let me finish these first. And then after I, 
whittle down the pile, then maybe I'll try Marvel Unlimited again. And that was a few years ago, and it hasn't happened yet because I keep adding more stuff to the pile. Yeah, the, we live in an age where there's too much content. You can't mm-hmm. you can't keep up. I mean, you know, you do your your best, but I mean, like you hear about people with like the latest shows and stuff, and I don't know what this show is, and everyone's talking about. It. I mean, I haven't checked out The Last of Us. It's you know the talk of the town, and I'm sure it's good, but. It wasn't something I had to dive into. Me and my wife, you know, usually settle down for the night and we watch shows. Right now, we're actually, we've been going for months and months now, going through the Netflix Marvel shows because she didn't watch them with me on my initial run when they came out. So it was after like um, No Way Home when, you know, Matt Murdock showed up and then Hawkeye with Kingpin showing up. So she saw those things. And then, you know, we like, let me show you. You know, she got interested and it's like, okay, well, let me show you the Daredevil show that these actors are from where they played these characters. And we went from there. And so then I think we binged all three Daredevil seasons first because, you know, I think that's the cream of the crop with the Netflix. Mm. And um, then we kind of I think then we went to Defenders. So, you know, he's still in there and stuff. But then we kind of went backwards. So we already got to know those characters and Defenders a little bit. And then we went from that backwards to like release order, bouncing back and forth between shows. And um, right now we're on Jessica Jones season three. So it's the final season of all the Netflix. And we, we just, we started the first episode of iron fist two, but we just decided to skip it. You know, getting through the first season of iron fist was bad enough. And I know I felt the the second one was somewhat of improvement improvement, but that's like a low bar and we were just not into mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to put you through it. I don't, I don't need to see the iron fist season two again. So we're in, uh, we're into season three of Jessica Jones. And uh, yeah, so that, you know, like I said, we, we always settle down with a show, and, you know, those are the shows we're on right now. And then usually she goes to sleep before me. Um, she just gets tired sooner than I do. And then mm. that's when I, I open up Unlimited and then I read comics until I, you know, kind of ready to pass out. Very similar situation in our house. We've got we got two young kids, too. Um, my daughter's uh, two. My son is about almost nine months now. Um, oh, uh, nice. So, yeah, so very young kids running around. So we'll try to watch some stuff. Usually we'll watch a movie or something at night. Every now and then we'll watch some TV shows. My wife's still on maternity leave, so she has more time to watch uh, TV stuff throughout the day. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that's the nice thing about living in a country that's not America is you have decent maternity leave. Um, but uh, when it, and then, you know, she'll usually turn in early. She'll usually go to sleep with my daughter. Like they'll, they'll sit and we've got this, um, this Disney dream switch it's called. We just got where it projects like these stories up on the ceiling. And so it's a, it's very easy for her to fall asleep to. And my wife will fall asleep with her watching that. And then I'll just stay up. I'll watch like TV show. I want, want to watch or um, or uh, something else. And or I'll read comics and that's, so I usually have time to read like, you know, I get like an hour to maybe less of reading time a night. And which is, um, which is why my TBR pile is so big because <laughs> just not enough time to get through it all. Yeah. Even watching on the note of watching with kids, I, I, you know, I started with my daughter watching stuff that I, you know, I mean, I have, you know, in an era of streaming, I still have like a big DVD cabinet because I'm a believer in physical media. You know, things come and go on there. You can never trust when a license runs out or whatever decision between companies happens and you lose something for good because it's some like rare show that's not available elsewhere. So I still have plenty of those. And I have DVDs and Blu-rays that I've had for years. Some of them are still in the shrink wrap because I just didn't have a reason to watch them. I didn't have someone to watch them with. So I'm not going to just 
randomly like oh let me find a free time and sit down and watch this episode of pokemon you know so you know now i started her with you know we watched some of the 90s x-men series some of the 90s spider-man uh we watched some pokemon we started power rangers um but then you know she kind of wasn't you know still doing it. and then obviously she grows up and she finds her own things but you know i've learned some new shows too and there's some good stuff out there today but i, I still want to you know get back to that you know because you know she's my oldest and i didn't know whether i was going to have another child or ever have a son or not so you know i don't i don't adhere to those strict you know gender stereotypes and i'm like you know i can share my you know more typically male associated hobbies and likes with her and you know she's still a girl she's still a girly girl but you know she likes this stuff and uh so yeah i like watching with her i just got to convince her to let me again i just wanted you know let's watch one show a night before you go to bed, you know, so I'm still working on that to get back into that. Yeah, very much agree. I, I try and I'm trying, I had the same situation with, with my daughter. Wasn't sure if I was going to have another kid. And even now that I have a son, I still want to, I still want to get my daughter into that stuff too. So, uh, but it's just a matter of, you know, like you said, finding the time. And I, I'm also a believer in physical media. I've got a Plex server. So I just, rip all my discs and then I put them on, on the Plex server because it's so much easier to access that way. But I'm looking at the Plex now and you look that up, I still have like 300 movies that have not been watched. So mm. <laughs> that shows you how much I have. That's just, again, it just it just accumulates and it's just, it, it, it can be tough to, to find time. So I totally feel you on that. Um, you'd also talked about Man-Thing and uh, we had done, an, I started reading those too. I'd recently picked up on one of the sales, the, the Epic Collections, so I got all the Steve Gerber stuff and I dug into the first one a little bit because um, it hasn't been released yet on the feed, but you know, by the time this comes out, it will already be now. But we did an episode on the, the Man-Thing movie from the early 2000s, which um, I don't know if you've seen that or not, but if you haven't I'm gotten that far, you're, I'm sorry, you're aware of it. Okay, yeah. I yeah. would not recommend watching. <laughs> I would not recommend that's, it. That, that's my understanding from what I've heard. Yeah, it's it's like it, it it's pretty much man thing just in name only. So it's you have none of the same type of atmosphere. But uh, one of the things you said, this is just a brief aside, and then we'll get into the movie we're talking about today. Is the that repetition in those older comic books that I mean, you you being an X Men fan, you probably definitely got familiar with that because the all the catchphrases and that they use to to kind of explain um, the characters for for new readers they get really old when you're doing a binge read like you know the fame my favorite one is Psylocke's the focus totality of my psychic abilities or something like that uh, I'm, I don't know if even I remember any of that but I'll take your word for it <laughs> yeah you go back and you read especially like the Claremont stuff there's a lot of repetition in those um, but anyway, today we are talking about uh, a Marvel movie. Uh, this is, we're talking about Ant Man and the Wasp, the the sequel to Ant Man, the you know the second movie in the in the trilogy. Um, and I thought you gave me a list of stuff to talk about, and I thought this was a good one to talk about in light of Quantum Mania uh, coming out fairly recently. So, what's your history with um, with Ant Man or with this movie in particular? Let's start there. Well, I mean. Um... You know, as far as like the comics, I, you know, I, I'm not especially familiar more than like the basics of him being a founding Avenger and a little bit of, you know, stuff and then Hank and then Scott. I read, I think I read Scott's first issue. Maybe it was after the first movie. Um, and then I, you know, I read um, this Avengers Disassembled. So I remember when he died in that. Um, but, you know, as far as comic reading, 
you know, I mainly just know them in the connection to the Avengers. I don't really, I haven't like dug deep into the solo stuff or like, you know, the silver age origin stuff with him and wasp. Um, but you know, uh, then with the, with the movies, I, you know, I obviously saw the first one and then, you know, I saw this one and then I recently saw, you know, the third one and, um, yeah, I mean, I've enjoyed them. I, I, I don't see where the hate is for quantum mania. I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion and I can get maybe if there's certain like rational critical points, like, okay, maybe, but like, it sounds like people were just really, really down on it. And I, I just didn't get it. No, I, I felt the exact same way. I mean, I, I, because I, I, I saw it late just because, you know, again, two kids, it's tough to find time to go to the theater. Um, and when I saw it, I had I had some of the same I had the same reaction as you did. I'm like, you know, I don't get all the hate. I think part of it is just that Marvel has become so big now. And it's just it seems like it's the trendy thing to to shit on something just because it's popular. I think there, there's something about that going into it. And also the fact that it's I mean. I will say it's not. I didn't. I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed uh, Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp. So it was definitely probably the weakest of the trilogy for me. I missed the the other the human characters and all that, but it was still a fun movie. And I loved like all the. I loved that they got. They tried to get weird with it and they swung for the fences, and that was fun for me. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, when watching it, and since it's been like years since this movie came out at the time. I kind of forgot about those characters until I rewatched the second one last night, just to be fresh for this. Like I get it. Cause I could see they were a fun part of, they felt like part of that, you know, that little mini world of within the MCU of this is Scott's world. And he's got, he's dealing with his ex-wife and her new guy and Cassie and balancing that out. And then he's got his pals from, you know, the prison and they're running that company. And they're like, I don't know if they're even like mentioned, I mean, obviously Cassie's a player in it, but otherwise I, I don't know if they even even get like a dialogue line to like write them under. Like sometimes they'll do that in these movies. They'll just like have a quick line in there to like explain away. Like I think they did that with uh, Betty Ross and Jane, like in the Avengers, like, oh yeah, they're being protected. Okay, that's why they're not around. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, it was a... Yeah, I'd felt the I'd felt the same way. Uh, so listeners, sorry if we if I didn't do such a good job cleaning this up. We just had to break real quick so i could uh grab my son over here so um but yeah i had i had um i i'd miss some of those characters and yeah we've gotten those explanations like you said it was it was um uh it was uh pepper and um well pepper appeared in avengers but yeah they mentioned like jane was being protected and then betty hadn't been mentioned at all and i kind of thought they'd she forget about her but now they yeah and but now they just announced that she's gonna be yeah. in um new captain america movie and yes so i saw that it's coming back to that yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of crazy. It's like they they basically all but forgot about that corner aside from when they brought Ross in as an authority figure. I guess for Civil War was the first time he came back. Yeah. And yeah. it's just it's just as much as it's cool to like okay, they're revisiting it. It's like how many years down the road where these people weren't even like an afterthought in this world and how are they going to explain them? Like he's, you know, what Samuel but Stern's been doing all this time, wouldn't you have think he mm-hmm. became the leader full on by now? And what did he do? He was just p- privately scheming of how to, you know, 
do whatever he's going to do evil for years. And now is the time to strike. And where's she been while uh, Bruce was getting all comfy with Black Widow? And you know, I, it's interesting. I know there's all the legal mumbo jumbo behind it where they can't make a solo Hulk movie, but they could have incorporated the characters here and there within like the Avengers movies and things like that. So it's it's cool, but also like, OK, how are they going to address this? How is this going to make mm. sense and not feel forced? But we'll see. It, it We'll see. Um, one of the things I do like about this is that now we're at the point with the MCU that we've gotten to in the comics where you need a character for for a certain thing. You can go back to the old characters and be like, like, like WandaVision did with with Darcy. And it's like, like, OK, we need this character for this. Hey, let's bring Darcy back. That's a good that's a good way to, to link it in. And I think that that's a cool aspect of it. So I'm glad we're finding ways to, to use these characters in these different ways instead of uh, creating new characters all the time. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see your point. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely expanded from back when Incredible Hulk uh, was like the second mm-hmm. MCU movie. And people kind of forget about it because they've basically treated like the characters and story like it was forgotten. And obviously with, um, you know, Bruce Banner being recast. But um, but yeah, it's there. It's part of the MCU. You know, Tony Stark mm-hmm. shows up in it. So it still counts. Yeah, Tony Stark shows up. Uh, they had uh, in Avengers when they're doing the little clips of him looking at the screens. They've got they've got Ed Norton's Hulk on there, and and uh, Ruffalo makes a comment about how last time he was in New York, he broke Harlem. So there's stuff. There are little things like that they were tossed in, and you know now obviously we got Ross back. We got um, we got Abomination back and She Hulk now too. So so it, I'm I'm glad they're finally referencing it. So it, it'll be good to see where we go from there. Um, now with Ant Man. Uh, I'm a little bit familiar with him because through the Avengers comics, uh, I hadn't read much of his solo stuff, but I really liked uh, Scott Lang when he was in um, uh, Jeff Johns' Avengers run. And I was really pissed off when when Bendis killed him in, in Disassembled. And the funny thing is, when this movie was in production, it was it was not Hank Pym or Scott Lang who were the Ant-Man. It was uh, Eric O'Grady, uh, Robert Kirkman's creation, the irredeemable Ant-Man. And that was part of like the the um, the post Civil War era and all that. And and at first, my assumption was going to be, oh, they're going to go with with Eric O'Grady because he's the one in the comics now. Um, but so I was pleasantly surprised when they went with with Scott Lang, and even more su- pleasantly surprised when they cast Paul Rudd to play him. And then again, they brought in Hank Pym too with Michael Douglas, and because I figured with the you know the whole thing in the comics about you know, him hitting Jan and everything, they were going to avoid any potential controversy with Hank Pym and just not mention him at all. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that they didn't do that either. So they brought in those two characters and I loved that first Ant-Man movie, how it was like this low key heist movie. And, and then this one, you know, elevating uh, hope to the role of the wasp, bringing in Michelle Pfeiffer of all people to play to play Jan, I thought was was great. I've got some quibbles about um, about Ghost, which we can get to. But, uh, mm. but overall, I thought this was a really fun, really enjoyable movie. Uh, first time I watched it, uh, maybe not quite reaching the heights of the first Ant-Man movie, but still very much uh, very enjoyable. What were your thoughts about it? Well, just going back to what you were saying with like the overall view of these movies, me, I'm usually quite a stickler for like keeping things as comic accurate as possible. So like when I heard they cast Paul Rudd, I mean, I like Paul Rudd. He's a good actor. He's funny. But it's also like, you know, for me, it's like, okay, Scott Lang, Scott Lang is a redhead. <laughs> Will they give him a wig or something like that? And actually it became a joke with a friend of mine 
uh, Tom Sharpling. He uh, has a radio show, and he's actually good friends with the director of the trilogy, Peyton Reed. And he would, oh, he right. actually, I was, um, I went to a convention with him once. It was in New Jersey. He, he was, you know, in New, he's from New Jersey. He was in New Jersey at the time. He's in California now. We met up at this convention, and I think he was texting with him, like joking about. <laughs> Scott should have red hair and like he's he's exaggerated how much like I like as if I was just a maniac about it and as if I wanted the hair to be like literally red and not redhead where it's you know more like a you know a natural kind of orange and stuff like that but um but yeah and like I mean obviously and also about Ant-Man and the Ant-Man movies this was like the first MCU movie that was being worked on back when it was like Edgar Wright before mm. Iron Man anything they were trying to do that and I think, you know, the plan was always to be generational, even back then. So they were going to have Hank, and then they were going to have Scott. And I think there were even talks of including Eric at, at a I point. I think there but, were, you know, yeah. It's, it's a shame it all fell apart, because, you know, I was really disappointed when um, Ant-Man and the Wasp couldn't be part of the initial Avengers lineup, because that's what the comics had them as. And then, you know, so that they have the primary Ant-Man being Scott, and then Hank's an old man and that didn't initially sit exactly well for me but obviously I got used to it and now obviously we're three movies in and Michael Douglas is you know given good performances and Michelle Pfeiffer's great but you know then they then they have this hope character where hope hope Van Dyne is only like some alternate reality version mm-hmm. of something in, in the comics but they just kind of took that name and they gave her the hairdo and everything and she's basically taking the place of the original wasp Janet van dyne until they bring her in and then she's already old and so it was a little like i I had to go okay just go with it you know same with the changes they made and other things you know they decided to do or i don't know if it's a decision they did ultimate nick fury basically but i think that's just because they initially based him on samuel L. jackson and then to avoid legal problems they had to make an agreement with him that if they do nick fury he gets the first refusal to play him so you know again you know there were things where initially i was bugged but then it sort of one meal. So yeah, some you know sometimes throughout the MCU there have been changes obviously that didn't sit right with me initially. But then you know as things get on, as more time passes and it gets to be their version of things, I kind of accept it and go on. And obviously you know Nick Fury's been in a lot of movies now. Samuel Jackson does a good job as a character. Now we got Secret Invasion coming. They just dropped a new trailer for that, and it looks it looks cool. So you know I don't hang on to things ongoing, but just initially it's just like man, I wish they could just do it more like the classic, you know, 16, 616 universe comics that I know mm-hmm. and that they're the ones that justify these movies, decades of history from that version. And then they're pulling from like ultimates and I'm like, uh, but you know, it's, it's an amalgamation of things and I understand you got to change things, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like with the, with the Nick Fury stuff, especially that was, um, that was a big part of it too. Plus, Early on when they were doing the MCU, I think the original plan was to model it after the Ultimates, and you kind of see some aspects of that. And I know the original Avengers script was written by um, Zach Penn, and I feel like he took more of a more hewed more closely to the Ultimates version. But then when Whedon came in as director, he basically rewrote the whole thing and he kept like the basic overview of like the Chitari and all that, but he brought in a lot of those like, you know, classic silver and bronze age feel to the to the script when he was doing that and i think after that hit it so big marvel kind of took a softer approach on that and they're just kind of like let's try and find the the essence of each one of these characters you know twist things when we need to to make it fit in and for the most part i think it's worked pretty well i think they've uh most of the changes they've made i i've been okay with um 
and I feel like they they've managed to distill this stuff into kind of its purest essence. Um, it's not something like like the X Men movies where they took every where they just completely did something different, or you know the Snyder films, which I'm not going to get into that again. No, but yeah, but I feel left like alone. They, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I feel like this one, you know, what I like about Marvel is they do kind of find that essence and, and now they're at this point where they've learned the lesson that I think other studios haven't, where it's, it's comic books. It's based on this really weird, wacky shit. And sometimes you just got to lean into that. And I think, and I like that aspect of it too. Yeah. I'm glad that they seem to loosen up on that more because yes, they, I mean, they are Marvel. I feel like they should have been on that much sooner because it's mm. superhero books. You have people flying around after you introduce rocket raccoon and Groot, who's basically a talking, walking tree. It's all, it's all, you know, out in the open. You can't, I, Oh, well it's not really magic. It's science where Dr. Strange taps into another dimension. Just let it be magic. You know, it's just, <laughs> so yeah, you know, again, I have my, my stickler feelings about stuff, but once, you know, they just let it be comic booky and have fun with it. And, you know, it's not, everything has to be the dark night. Not everything has to be, right. you know, grounded or anything like that. But um, on what you said, uh, I don't. I have much different opinions of Joss Whedon these days. But I guess I'll give him credit mm-hmm. where credits due and what you mentioned. But uh, and also I'll just say I'm glad they definitely stayed away from Ultimates basically for Captain America because that's pure oh, yeah. Steve Rogers. You know, I mean, maybe he has um, like his costume and World War II is influenced by it where i would have you know maybe not gone in that direction but otherwise his personality his heart like when chris evans as as scrawny steve when uh when erskine's asking him like do you want to kill nazis and he says i don't want to kill anyone i just don't like bullies he passed erskine's test and he passed my test like that's the moment Mm -hmm. that locked it that locked it in for me as uh chris evans as Steve Rogers, Captain America, because honestly, I mean, before that, I mainly knew him as the guy with the whipped cream bikini and not another teen movie. And I'm like, that's <laughs> who they cast as Captain America. Come on. So I was very skeptical. But, you know, obviously, we've seen everything that's come after that since. And, you know, he he killed it. I mean, he is yeah. our generation's Captain America, at least. I mean, now Sam's taken the role. But as far as Steve Rogers, Captain America, that's Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to be connected to that role in the same way that we talk about, like, Superman and Christopher Reeves. I mean, he's been that iconic. Or, or also, you know, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and, and Iron Man. It, it It is that much of a perfect casting. Uh, 100% co-signed on that. And, yeah, and I felt like that was one of the problems with Captain America is there's, there's two mistakes that frequently are made with him. One is they either write him like he's a grandpa and as if he's literally 90 years old when really he's just a he's a guy who's in his 20s and then he woke up and then he got basically plucked out of time um and then the other mistake i see a lot is is what miller did in the ultimates where they write him as this jingoistic you know alpha male asshole and he he's never been either of those things so i'm glad that they and chris evans i think has really done a great service to that character and shown that he's not that way he doesn't have to be that way yeah that's um, but that's just the worst (laughs) The, the ultimates mm-hmm. one is just the worst in my opinion. Oh, a friend yeah, of yeah. mine would, friend of mine would tease me with the panel. Oh, do you think this A stands for France? I'm like, that is so stupid and obnoxious, and not the Captain America I know. Sorry, get out of here. The greatest rebuttal to that was in the Captain America comics themselves when Ed Brubaker wrote an issue with 
uh, Cap reminiscing about the French, the the French Foreign Legion and the French Resistance in World War II, and talking about how like it always drives me nuts when Americans call the French cowards. He's like, I was there, I saw what they did and how they fought against the Nazis. He's like, they were not cowards, and that was like the perfect rebuttal. That came out very shortly after that Ultimate issue, so it was like the perfect rebuttal to it. Oh wow, I wasn't aware of that. I'll have to see if. Oh I can- yeah. Track that issue it down was in, because yeah. yeah, it was in early in the brew in Brubaker's run. I think it was in the like within the first twelve issues, I believe. During the I mean, that's the winter, such a great run soldiers. that mm-hmm. as far as Captain America stories go, like his run is like legendary, and it's fairly recent, oh, yeah. re- relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is. Um, I think that is probably the definitive Cap run for me. Um, uh, but anyway. Back to Ant-Man and the Wasp. What were some of your thoughts about about this movie? What did you think about this, watching this, or rewatching it last night? Oh, you know, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. You know, there's, there's you know, some goofy, silly humor in it. But, um, you know, I, overall, I don't I don't think I have much to complain about. Um, that, that tends to be how I rank Marvel movies. How much do I have to complain about? Is it, like, is it fairly good with me? Or, like... Are there nitpicks? Because, you know, I can nitpick with the best of them. (laughs) But overall, you know, again, it's already established the characters and stuff. So I can't have the same complaints about what they did with following Scott over Hank and and who they cast and what role and hair colors, etc. So (laughs) we're already in it and, uh, you know, following it up. um, You know, it's a good follow up. It's the proper next step. And, you know, it, it catches up with. You know, uh, the little flashback initially we got in the first one of Hank and Jan on that mission. So then we see more of that and how things got to be with her there. And then we, you know, they get to connect with her. And um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's good performances all around. And, you know, they introduce they expand like the cast a little bit where they introduce Bill Foster. And then they have Ghost, who's, you know, becomes this sort of sympathetic villain. And then you got Sonny Birch and his guys, who's not especially sympathetic and um mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's a fun story and there are stakes and you know good characters good performances all around yeah absolutely i agree with a lot of that um one of the things i really liked about it was the um you know elevating hope's role and because that was it was disappointing that we didn't get to see the wasp i'm glad we got the mention of jan at least in the first movie um and then that tease, that stinger at the end of Ant Man, where you see um, where Hank shows shows her the wasp suit that they were developing, and and then getting to see that in this movie and seeing her in action, I do wish she kept the bob though. I did like the bob a little bit more. But, oh yeah, um, on that note, uh, that's that is one thing that bugs me about the Ant Man uh, films is they had to put her and then Cassie in helmets, and I could tell it's just purely. Uh, for CGI purposes, for shrinking and growing, mm-hmm. to to do a CGI human face for all of that would be much more difficult than to do a helmet. But I mean, if she was the Wasp and she had that Bob hairdo, that would like pump me up so much more. Mm-hmm. Like, because then it's like, even though she's Hope, she's not Jan. She would basically be Hope in name and still some version of the Jan we knew from comics. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, and, oh. The haircut she had in Quantumania was terrible. Going off to that one for a yeah. second, I, I couldn't. That was that was awful. But yeah, but on this movie, um, yeah, yeah, she was. You know, a, a, her her character was obviously more developed. And like you said, we also got to see Jam where it was. I remember there was like a a furor initially when people like were hearing about 
her role or lack thereof in the original one. They were like calling like Jan Van Crime or something. And, you know, again, mm-hmm. that's sort of judging before you know, and but still um, maybe a little justified. And then in that stinger you mentioned where she sees the, the suit that her dad's made for her, she says uh, it's about damn time. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's also kind of like symbolic for like the greater superhero cinema and like female fans about damn time that they're getting to a mm-hmm. you know main strong you know female i mean you know we had scar um, no we had black widow but you know now this is sort of uh you know a more you know just continuing on that and giving a new lead female character to uh you know include in in the greater world building yeah, a big part of that was uh, was Ike Perlmutter was in charge um, oh, for a good, long while of yeah, and um, he he felt that um, women women shouldn't be superheroes basically, and he's like a, a woman led superhero movie is a terrible idea. He also felt the same way about black led superhero movies, you know, just fucking terrible racist and misogynist, and <laughs> and he almost got like that's why. Chris Evans almost quit. That's why uh, Kevin Feige almost quit. And then finally Disney's like, oh shit, we can't do this. And then moved Marvel Studios out into its own thing. And then Perlmutter finally hung himself on his own petard. And now he's finally fired. So we never have to worry about that asshole. <laughs> the ding dong, the witch is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I felt a lot of the same things too. And I also love seeing Bill Foster in this. Uh, you know, going back to Mark Miller and the Ultimates and what he did with Bill Foster in Civil War. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to die on this hill and say like Black Goliath was my favorite character or anything, but I thought it was. I hate when they do that in comics when it's like you've got all these heroes and then you've got this one character plucked from obscurity and then the the tag is one of these heroes will die. Like, gee, I wonder which one it's going to be. Come on. <laughs> and it's and of so, course it's the black guy. That's not a good look. Of course it's the black guy. Yeah. And suddenly they can't figure out how to use pim particles to shrink his body because you have to have the visual burying the giant corpse and and it was just it, it was it was so irritating. So I I was really cool seeing Bill Foster in this um, and also referencing him as as Goliath, right? Having the project Goliath that him and Hank worked on. So I like that little Easter egg. Him and Scott geeking out over how big could you grow and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's the scene also where Scott it's like, do you guys just put quantum in front of everything? And that's, <laughs> I, I think that, that that's that's like basically, I think the phrase is like putting a lampshade on it or something is basically they're saying it so that they could beat us to the punch because they, you know it's they mm-hmm. do they do that a lot, especially in this movie, and it really is it's just like a way of like let's make this sound super sciency, and then they don't need to think too much about it. Just no, it's it's a quantum thing, and mm-hmm. uh, by them saying it, they they. You know, they beat us to the punch and we got to just go along with it, basically. Yeah, it was um, there's there's a lot of that. I remember I was doing I was taking part in a in a Star Trek RPG up until recently. And uh, uh, my character was like the engineer character and and the the head of the game, he was the game master. He was like sending, he's like, he's like, so you got to describe this. I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. What am I supposed to do? And he sends me a link to this techno babble chart. And he's like, mix and match these words and then just do it. I'm like, okay. And I'm just like, uh, blah, blah you know, this tech word, this tech word. And he's like, he's like, that was perfect. That was, per-. I'm like, it was nonsense. He's like, yeah, but that's what techno babble is. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it, but it, it is fun when they, when they do that. Um, one of my biggest d- disappointments in this movie though, was um, actually the ghost. Like I thought within the, the confines of the story, I thought the ghost was an interesting character, but going back to what you were saying about staying true to the comic stuff, 
I did miss that ghost from the comics where he, first off, it, it's, I don't care if it's a man or a woman, but I did miss that aspect of the character in the comics where the ghost is an industrial saboteur, is very much this anti-corporate, anti-establishment type of character. And, you know, this does make me wish that we would have gotten to see the ghost in an Iron Man movie, because one of my biggest criticisms of the Iron Man movies after the first one is you're just kind of redoing the Obadiah Stane thing, where you've got a got another indust another corporate guy who's not quite as smart as Tony Stark as the villain. And that's just like the same thing in Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. And I think it would have been much more interesting to have someone like the ghost um, as a villain in those movies instead. Yeah, that's a good point. I could, I could see that being something different for Iron Man and, and being enjoyable. Like, yeah, I don't have much attachment to the comic ghost, but, you know, obviously I knew about the gender swap. Uh, but, you know, again, that's because I don't have as much attachment. I didn't especially mm-hmm. care one way or the other. But, um, yeah, it definitely is a big divergence in character, too. So it's like that's that's one thing that almost kind of bothers me about Marvel sometimes. Sometimes they grab a name or a character and then they just use it because, mm-hmm. hey, let's let's put one of our things in there and it's completely different. It's just like, but look, we use that name. It's a name of a character within our, you know, thousands of characters in our comics, like, um, like Aldrich Killian, uh, in Iron Man three, speaking of Iron Man Mm. films, I think he's, he's like in one issue and he's not like some big bad villain or something. And and I think the same thing goes with Arthur Harrow, the Moon Knight villain for the Mm -hmm. first Moon Knight season. He's, I mean, he is a villain, but he's like some scientist or something, but they just plucked that name and applied it to this like cult leader guy who's completely far removed, but he's got the same name. So yes, it's cool when they bring in more characters, but it's more cool when it's they're you know, more true to their character at least rather than just, yeah, we, we applied to the name to the guy that we needed for our story that we wanted to tell. Uh, with I, with Killian, that was, again, that was a Perlmutter thing because the villain was supposed to be uh, Maya Hansen. That was the original plan. She was supposed to be the villain, just like she was in the Extremist story arc. But Ike Perlmutter is like, we can't have a woman as the villain. You know, that's that's ridiculous. We have to have a man as the villain. So, so then they swapped it and they made, uh, and there it was like all these resuits, last minute stuff, and they basically reworked the movie so that Eldritch Killian could be the villain instead, which I agree was, was ridiculous. Yeah. I, I enjoyed Moon Knight for the most part, but I mean, I, I was such a big fan of the Moon Knight comics that I was a little disappointed that it didn't cue closer to those. And yeah, Arthur Harrow was one of those characters where he was like this villain in like one issue. And they were just kind of like, they gave Marvel gave the, the, the writers, the showrunners, a list of villains they had they could use, and they looked at it and they're like oh. Arthur Harrow. That sounds like a villainous name. Let's use that. <laughs> that was kind of the rationale for that. Yeah, with me, um, I was it was a mixed bag on Moon Knight. I think I I was enjoying it as it went along, and you know, my little brother, he is the biggest Moon Knight fan there is. He's just like full on. He's got like at least up to a point every issue that he even appears in. If he's in one panel, if he's on just the cover. He got into him in like the mid '90s when I bought this action figure that was like you had to get like Toy Fair magazine I think and mail oh, away I for that. it. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel Gold was like the little subline of the five inch Marvel figures, and then uh, you know we learned more about him. And then when we learned he was Jewish, like we're we're Jewish, so that was like really cool because you don't see that often. And so you know you connect right. with that. And um, so he's been huge in my Moon Knight. He was waiting for it forever. And he's a little more easygoing with stuff than me that I've, you know, talked about me and stuff. 
he uh you know harry his 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 name is harry um he he's able to let things roll off so when there were changes in the moon knight series he kind of rolled with them more than me i think there were some things he was a little disappointed with but he was you know not as much with me with me i was especially disappointed with the jewish representation i mean everyone talks mm-hmm. these days about representation matters and you get you know uh this person from this background that one you know so you get black panther you get shang chi you get you know the the women lead heroes with you know captain marvel she hulk and stuff and then we get our chance for like our one big jewish superhero and it felt like it was a footnote it felt like mm-hmm. i think i think i read someone commenting on twitter where it was like someone on staff like went to like looked up jewish on pinterest and just grabbed a few things so like okay <laughs> star of david necklace check mezuzah on the wall check uh, uh you know sitting shiva check yamaka check and then it's like and then they, they they rewrote his origin for it with the whole thing with the mother where you know his father's a rabbi in the comics and there's actually a connection mm-hmm. there and you know with that background being raised that way. And then with the hate crimes and there was issues where he's fighting the clan and it mm. just felt they all swept that under the rug in favor of making sure Egyptian representation was first and foremost. I know like the director mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the, one of the big directors, at least for the show, he was like, you know, I think he's Egyptian and he was really yeah. big on that and getting that mythology right and stuff. But then the, the Jewish side got kind of swept under the rug. So, you know, it was good that there was some, but I just, I was disappointed. And, and otherwise, um, yeah, you know, I, it was it was good for what it was. And sometimes you have mm-hmm. to just look at some of these projects like that, like in and of itself, what it's trying to do. It's it's pretty good. But but then, you know, you still allowed to have some complaints and they, they can be valid complaints. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's where I'm at with with Moon Knight. And, you know, well, I am looking forward to. Um, where he'll show up next. Oh yeah. Another thing I was trying mm. to remember what else I was bothered. They brushed aside his supporting cast because they wanted him to start as this, me, as yeah. this man who's alone and confused. Cause they decided to start with this Steven persona. And also Steven's very different. They made him this like goofy British guy where in, I guess, again, I hate when they have to make changes purely because they want to differentiate from mm. the, the distinguished competition. So like, you know, Namor's not from Atlantis because Aquaman got to theaters <laughs> sooner. And, you know, I mean, this is this is a running thing. Even in the comics for Moon Knight, they always compare him to Batman. They say he's Marvel's Batman, which is really a disservice. I see the similarities, but he's a completely different character. But yeah, one of his alter egos, you know, he's got a few of them. One of them, Stephen Grant in the comics, is like a rich guy where he invested his money from being like, you know, uh, an operative. And, you know, um, and he became, you know, he put on that front. And then he yeah. also had you know, Jake Lockley, who is like this, you know, he puts on a fake mustache and he drives cabs and that's how he finds the underground info to keep track of stuff. And then his main, you know, self is Mark Spector. And then Moon Knight is his superhero alter ego. So here we meet him as Steven, this goofball British guy. Then we find out about Mark and then they kind of swap places and interact. And then only in like the last tag of the last episode, they introduce Jake Lockley. And then mm-hmm. he's like speaking Spanish and, you know, but then also it's also like we don't we don't have any clue right now where he's going to show up next. We know he, they're not right. done with him. They wouldn't they didn't just set him up for, you know, a one season show. And OK, see you later. They always have plans ahead. But uh, but yeah. So, again, there are differences. Um, it was cool to see when they had the guy Crawley, but he's just like this living statue instead of fulfilling mm-hmm. the role in the comics. And they basically made Marlene um, into the new love interest 
mm-hmm. was it Layla? So they just yeah, changed yeah, her yeah. her story and basically created a new character semi based on that. But then you know there were other supporting characters and they're not to be seen. Also, because all and then they made him based in England rather than New York. People say, oh, they can't have everyone in New York. I mean, it worked in the comics. I don't know. I think you can make it work, but I get it. Change of pace, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm I'm running off on a Moon Knight tangent now. We're here to talk about Ant <laughs> Man and the Wasp. But yeah, like I said, I enjoyed it mostly for what it is, but I had my my issues with it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to this, uh, speaking of bringing in characters, uh, Sonny Burtz was one of those characters that they brought in um, who was, again, an, an Iron Man character, actually, but he had an affiliation with, he was a, he was, he used to be with Cross Technologies in the comics, so, and that was his background in the comics, and then they brought him in, and, but he was introduced in Iron Man. Um, uh, but I thought Walton Goggins was, was, I loved watching his scenes in this. Like, I love Walton Goggins. He's He's great. And seeing him in here, like, you know, put on that little accent and being this, you know, this crooked little arms dealer who's playing both sides. I thought he was a fun addition to the cast. What do you think of him? Yeah, he was, he's very good. I know people like him a lot. I've only seen him in so much else. I think maybe only when I saw him in, I think it was Sons of Anarchy where he's like, Mm -hmm. like a trans, I think he's, you know, he's playing like a female character who's trans and, you know, it's obviously a very different role. And, you know, mm-hmm. I actually didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge of Sonny Birch as a character from the comics. So this was like fresh to me. So he's a clean slate. So it's, again, one, the less I know about a character, the less mm-hmm. I can complain for, you know, changes in accuracy and stuff. Yeah, I literally looked him up just before we started recording, just to double check. I'm like, I, is he a character from the comics? And so I found out, yeah, he was in this, um, this, the story arc where Tony becomes secretary of defense. That was, that was his only appearance in the comics was that arc. And he was kind of like the antagonist in that. But otherwise he, he, he died at the end of that arc. He committed suicide. Oh. So not much of a character. Uh, one thing you said before, though, I wanted to touch on, too, uh, I just remember now, uh, with Namor, I heard, actually, I had thought it was because of Aquaman, but I heard a different story recently, which put in a different context, because Universal, there's, there's a real, there's a confusing thing with the Namor rights with Universal, apparently, but that only applies to, like, later versions of Namor, and apparently the original version of Namor is... There's a there's a question of whether or not he's public domain, like the very first appearance. So, so Marvel was basing it like on that first appearance, and then they were ba- and that didn't have Atlantis or anything like that. So, so part of the way to get a, get around that too was to base it on that that original public domain version of it too. Interesting. I didn't I didn't know about that. I mean, you know, I hate that when was one theory issues. I'd read recently. Yeah, yeah, rights issues uh, are a pain in the ass. I mean, that's the well, same yeah, thing when they with the Hulk stuff. Yeah, when they get in the way of just letting us have our stuff, like, uh, I mean, I'm I was so happy when um, they worked out the deal with Sony to get Spidey mm-hmm. at least in Civil War, and then now working with Marvel to make these Spidey films, like, because you know, amazing. The first one I was like, nah, all right. The second one was like, oh, that was that was rough. Um, so I'm, I'm in a way I'm glad it was so rough because it led to them going, we got to figure something out. Let's work with Marvel. And overall, you know, again, with um, the Tom Holland version, I like him in the role. I like a lot about it. I like that he's able to be interconnected with the greater Marvel universe. But there are there are quibbles in, in those movies, too. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that. And then, you know, with the Fox deal, 
we can finally have, you know, X-Men and Fantastic Four mm-hmm. join the fray eventually when they get to well, it. You know, speaking but, of the Jewish representation, we'll be getting that with uh, with the thing then, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, that that's a thought because it's like, okay, maybe we'll get that with him. Because, I mean, you know, he's basically Jack Kirby. So, right. you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not asking for them to, like, film a scene where it's like a bar mitzvah or, like, go on, like, or have him overtly talking about But, you know, if they could just have it play some kind of role or make it clear make it more obvious it was very like in the background aside from like the one flashback scene episode with mm-hmm. you know the with the mother and the, and the sitting shiva which you know for those who don't know that's like the period after you know someone dies the morning there's you know a week of where you kind of sit around and you're wearing black and you cover the mirrors so they included that and that's like one little thing where it gets a little bit more of representation but you know it was kind of uh Okay, that's it. But yeah, you know, with thing at least, yeah, and also, yeah, we were we were really wanting them to do a Jewish actor for Moon Knight, and in the mm-hmm. end, you know, Oscar Isaac, we were glad, you know, he's good and we we like him, but it would have been nice, and mm-hmm. um, it would definitely still be nice if they did that for Ben Grimm. Uh, again, it's not essential. I I'm not one of these people who are sticklers that the person playing the role has to equal the the background of the role if they can do it well i mean some people i mm-hmm. know and nowadays obviously i get where it comes from again with representation mattering like if a character is a certain way better to give it to a person of that background to especially if they're right, underrepresented right. in in media uh but i also am not like feeling like it absolutely has to be that way for some mm-hmm. characters Dep- i guess it's a case-by-case basis um yeah 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 okay uh so ant-man and the wasp uh too um one of the things i liked about this too was how they how closely they tied into it and they they kind of showed the aftermath of uh what happened in civil war probably better than almost any other movie at that time um i mean black widow obviously dealt with it a little bit more too but but i felt like this was one of the only movies that really kind of touched on the the fallout of what happened in civil war like in infinity war there's just you know the very brief mention of how you know oh cap and i had a falling out and then you know you know clinton and and scott took a deal for immunity because it was too tough on their families and here we get to see that play a big part in the plot right scott's under house arrest we see the how it strained his relationship with um, with hope and hank um, so I really like those aspects of it too. How did you feel about that too? That's true. I don't, I don't, I didn't even really think about it that much cause I just watched, you know, this movie, you know, in the context of this movie, but yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. You know, some of these things, they introduce things and sometimes it's big things like civil war was big in, a, in changing the landscape of the MCU because it split the whole, you know, Avengers team in half. But then, yeah. Do you really think outside of them then, not being prepared for Thanos, it wasn't much, especially, yeah, the fallout, that was the big fallout, and like anything else, mm-hmm. there wasn't much going on, so that that set the stage for them, where they were not a, a coherent unit, where maybe if they were, they could have beat him, and honestly, when I thought, I, I thought for Endgame, what they were going to have, is they were going to use time travel, and Tony was going to make the call, instead of mm-hmm. hesitating and not make the call. And I thought that was going to be the game changer rather than the whole time heist where they get the gems and do all that. But I thought like they were going to go back to that moment in time and they were going to work things out. And that was going to lead to them being ready to defeat him. But uh, 
no, I'm, I liked Endgame a lot. I'm glad with how, how it uh, played out. And, um, but yeah, like you said, yeah, I mean, Civil War is one of my favorite of, of all mm-hmm. the MCU movies. It's, you know, it introduced Spider-Man and that airport scene alone is like top tier superhero yeah. action scenes, like feels like it's pulled out of the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you definitely, yeah, this is more like uh, the Ant-Man, the first two Ant-Man films were like typically more, you know, confined mm-hmm. their own little bubble and so you you really do see how it impacts him and his you know crew his people that are you know close to him before they went to Quantumania which was now the big scale thing where they're using an Ant-Man film of all things to launch the new threat of Kang and his variants mm-hmm. but um although yeah. uh, we'll see what happens with Kang now that uh, Jonathan Majors is yeah, uh, yeah. A criminal so that's a thing you know I, I remember when i heard that and i'm like oh boy like what are they gonna do like scramble and rewrite everything they have planned so far or are they gonna recast him or what we'll see how it plays out because i heard you know there's more to the story i was reading things where he was you know, sharing some text chain with the girlfriend and mm-hmm. she she was saying something so we'll see how that plays out maybe it was all confusion and misunderstanding um yeah yeah, you never um, know, you know. <laughs> it would probably be more likely, I, I guess, just because, especially with a character, like, they've recast in the past, right? Ruffalo, obviously, you know, um, uh, Cheadle took over for Rhodey as well. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they just did a recast. Um, and especially with Kang, it's very easy to explain because, you know, he's got all these variants running around anyway. Um, so that's that's one possible thing they could do. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. Like, one of the things... One of my disappointments with Civil War and Endgame is no disappointments with those movies themselves, but just like the stuff it sets up that we then don't get to see. Like the we get um you know that that period of time between Civil War and Infinity War, we can see like what was Cap te- what was Cap's team up to, what were what was Tony's team up to in that in that during that time period. There's some interesting stories there, or in Endgame, like that five year period went before the time heist begins because we see the Avengers are still active with with uh, Natasha calling the shots from the compound, and and it did make me wonder, you know, that if if I could pitch Marvel on any series that'd be like a tie into the MCU, it would be a series like one would be like set in that period between Civil War and Infinity War, another one would be set in that five year gap in Endgame. And a third one would be what happened to Cap after he went to that alternate timeline and, you know, lived with lived life with Peggy. What would happen? How did he change the world in that way, in that new timeline? That would be another interesting thing to see. Uh, yeah, that yeah. And that ending, I know it, it rubbed people the wrong way because uh, some people felt, oh, like, oh, he leave Bucky behind. I mean, Bucky's a grown man. I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to, you know, he obviously had his blessing. But also what's odd about it is if you ask the directors and you ask the writers, each of them tells you something different about the situation yeah, yeah. there. Is it a branched reality or or how does it work? Because if, you know, it, it 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 makes your head spin with those sort of mm-hmm. things with time travel and realities and stuff. I think it has to be a branched reality. He lives his I life. I think it does too. Yeah. And in, in, in he lives this, you know, fairly quiet life, I'd think, with Peggy. And just, you know, he, he, he did his service. He fought in wars. He fought alongside the Avengers. He's he's now getting to have that life that maybe he would have liked to have had before his life went through this you know huge change if he could have just you know settled with her and that's what he always wanted and um, 
yeah, then people talk about, oh, well, then did wouldn't he have, like, saved Bucky sooner in that timeline? Or, like, oh, stop the Kennedy assassination or this thing. I mean, I think the guy's just, like, I'm, I'm not here to be a hero. I'm here to, you know, live a simple life. So, yeah, it opens up questions and stuff. But, you know, I... They, they should have had a cohesive idea of which one it is. Because when you're giving interviews and one, one half of the mouth says one thing and another says another thing, yeah. it kind of looks like you don't, you don't got your stuff together. But, uh, you know, I was fine with it, too. You know, I mean, the thing that I was thrown by, which, you know, I've heard other people, is that he gave the shield to Sam. I mean, you know, especially going, again, going by comics and and going by foreshadowing and things that were set up. It seemed mm. obvious it was going to go to Bucky. In the comic lineage, Bucky took over, and then eventually, I think Steve came back, and then Sam took over. Here, he just cuts out the middleman, and Bucky never gets the opportunity to be a Captain America, and it goes to Sam. And it's like, your best friend, your war buddy, the guy who's had experience throwing the shield around when he was brainwashed, and, you know, this great fighter, or this guy that you've been, you know, knowing for a little bit, doing some superheroing with that, you know, you, you only know so well, and then that you skip the friend, your, your lifelong best friend for that guy. It didn't seem to add up, but you know, it's fine. And I like I like that show the you know, the Falcon and the winter soldier. I, I think it was, it was good. And they have good um, rapport between them. Those guys are always, you know, in real life too. They're fun in like interviews <laughs> and stuff, but you know, yeah, we'll see where he goes um, in the role of Captain America. But yeah, again, like I, I thought say, from I a, like... from the character standpoints and what they set up in this movie, especially at the end of Endgame, I thought Sam made more sense. But um, you can listen. To, I talked about this more in um, we did a pair of episodes on Falcon and Winter Soldier a while back. So you can go back and listen to those here. What I had to say about that. Um, but uh, focus on this movie, too. Uh I, I thought Paul Rudd got to his stretches acting a little bit here where he gets that scene where he has to you know, basically play as Michelle Pfeiffer in that that one scene. I thought that was a, a fun little addition there. Yeah, that was amusing. Oh, and that brings to mind, I was taking notes while I was watching to see any like funny observations or questions. You know, he's talking as, as Jan being channeled through him and, you know, calls uh, Hope Jellybean. Jellybean. Yeah. That, was, that was, that was Jan's nickname. For, and I noticed both Scott and Jan have food-based nicknames for their daughters. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's intentional or what, but he calls Cassie Peanut. She calls her Jelly Bean. So I just, that's something I picked up on this viewing that, you know, didn't click with me original. I'm guessing that that was probably maybe sort of I'm pretty sure that though. had to be intentional, yeah. Um, yeah, I like that too. Um, and some really funny moments in this, some little funny bits. Like, I, I love that scene when... Uh, Jan's for or Hope is first displaying her her abilities as the Wasp, and you know Scott and Hank are watching from the car, and and Scott's like, oh, so wings and and blasters. I guess you didn't have that stuff when you designed my suit. <laughs> and it's just like, no, I did, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are there are good jokes, um, you know, throughout, and and you know, funny stuff, and and you know, Paul Rudd's great with delivery, and then some of the stuff with his team, where the one guy's talking <laughs> about Baba Yaga. Like, you oh, know, yeah. Oh, this, David like, Baba Yaga. oh they, they go, they come for little children, and they start singing the song. And then when, <laughs> when later on, when, like, Sonny and his guys are there interrogating him, and then she pops out, he goes, oh, Baba Yaga! <laughs> or the whole truth David is, is is great. Uh, the truth serum was great too. I love that one too. 
Yeah, and then in the end, they use it on them when they're talking to the cops. It's like, wow, I guess it was a truth serum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I love the crew in this. I got, I'm glad they got to do a little bit more. David Dasmolchain, he's just, it's, he really disappears into these different roles, right? Seeing him in this and then, you know, seeing him in, in the Suicide Squad or um, he was also in uh, Abracadabra Bar- on the Flash TV show. Oh, I didn't, I didn't really, I never, I never got into the Flash. I heard good things, but then also like the Dark Knight, that was maybe the first thing where like he got noticed where he's like that crazy prisoner laughing. And then people were like, oh, is he the Mad Hatter? Is he going to be the Mad Hatter and stuff? But yeah, and then, oh my and god, I completely fun. forgot he was in. You're right, I completely. That's right. That's that exactly goes to my point, right? He completely yeah. disappears into these different roles. Yeah, and then he's a, he's a voice in Quantum Mania, so he didn't get to play the same mm-hmm. character. But then he's that little goopy guy. Oh, I didn't know that either. Wow. Yeah, um, he's the yeah, voice I, of that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mi- I miss seeing those that trio and this too, especially Luis. Like I. I remember there was this meme going around where everybody was saying like what they want to see is, is Michael Pena doing a recap as Luis of the entire MCU. And I still want to see that. Right. And I think there was something maybe at some con where he did something like that up to a point. I think I heard that on, I don't know when or where oh, that was, that but, but yeah, it would be amusing if they had that. But I mean, up till now though, that would be, that would be crazy long <laughs> with how, how much mm-hmm. it's grown and expanded since then. Oh, yeah, there is. I just found it. Uh, Luis recapping the entire MCU. So I'm going to have to look that up later after we finish recording. <laughs> um, yeah, it. Uh, talking about the... Oh, also, another great addition to the cast is Randall Park is Jimmy Woo. <laughs> he, he cracked me up every... I love Randall Park. And, and seeing him in this was just was just such a treat. And like how he's, you know, he... he his um how he tries to explain it to cassie very simply he's like well you have you have rules at your school like you're not supposed to draw on the walls well your daddy went to went to germany with captain america and drew out the walls and that violated section that blah 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 the sokovia <laughs> court yeah that was that was pretty good yeah he, he does it like in such a it's almost, almost a deadpan way to take mm-hmm. like take this nonsense he's spewing so seriously another thing with um jimmy though i noticed i'm like what are they doing with this like is this based in anything there were lines of his where he's like talking in old old timey words he's like what the dickens and mm. uh there was there's some oh malarkey <laughs> i'm like that's an interesting character attribute that he's using like really old old timey language i wonder if i'm not sure if that was a script choice or if that was uh park's choice but i wonder if it was inspired by the fact that jimmy woo is such an old character in the comics i mean i believe he's originally from the golden age and the 50s i think yeah 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 and um in the comics you know he later becomes like the head of the agents of atlas which is like the bunch of golden age heroes from marvel or, or timely comics back then um so yeah i wonder how much of that was a connection to that maybe uh but also just like his character, like the whole thing, he says, you know, the, they're just trying to play him as like this kind of, uh, you know, button down type of character who nonetheless has like this, this goofy side to him. Um, and I liked him. I thought he was even when he's trying to do the close up <laughs> magic himself. Yeah, he gets and, all into that. And, and he's always became like a, yeah, that became like a defining feature of his, even though he took it from Scott. But like when he shows yeah, up in WandaVision, yeah. he does a little trick and it's like, oh, I guess it's a Jimmy Woo thing now. There was a at when WandaVision was coming out, I remember people were saying that 
and this is something I'd still love to see like Jimmy Woo and Darcy in like their own show together. And I think that would be, it'd be so much fun to see them interacting like that. And, um, and just like his, like the little lines he has with the inter exchanges with, um, Paul Rudd in this, like when he says at the end, Oh, uh, Scott's like, Oh, I thought you meant like, you know, see me around, like you're going to take me out to dinner or something. He's like, no, no. Why would I do this? Like, do you, do you want to go to dinner though? (laughs) It's this awkward little exchange where it's like, yeah, all right, I'll see you around. He's like, where, when? Because, you know, it's just like a thing you say. Or or he's sounding it to sound like a tough guy. Like, I got my eye on you, and if you slip up, I'll get you. But then in the context of it, where he's just purely innocent and everything's wrapped up, like, okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing I want to mention, too, is Bobby Cannavale as um, uh, uh, as the, the new husband, you know, Cassie's stepfather. I love yeah, I what they did. in this too. This picks up from the uh, Paxton is his name, Paxton. Uh, uh, but this picks up from the end of the first movie where you find out that because the first movie, it kind of plays it like, OK, he's just like the dickish, you know, new husband, stepfather. And, and they did that in the comics, too. Like the uh, we had covered the Astonishing Ant-Man run that Nick Spencer did uh, in the Patreon show a while back. And we had and I talked about how it had been annoying in that, how like, you know, you've got this very classic, you know, ex-wife relationship where her and her new husband are like kind of like antagonistic towards the main character. And they don't do that in this. Like you find out at the end of Ant-Man that it's not that Paxton hates Scott. It's just, he really is trying to do the right thing. And when he finds out Scott is really a good guy, he turns it, he changes his opinion on him and he he goes to bat for him. And in this one too, right? He's always there on Scott's side. I love that about them. Yeah, and like, and like, and then some, like, I was noting how, like, in here, he's, like, running and giving him a hug, like, when they're first seeing each other, and then, like, in the ending with, like, the happy Partridge family montage, mm-hmm. like, he's, like, he's so buddy-buddy with him, it's, like, come in, get, you know, big bear hug, and so it is a, mm-hmm. it's quite a 180 from how he's initially portrayed in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I did like that as a, as a different way of, of playing that relationship. Cause not all divorces and in antagonism, like I've got a, I'm divorced myself. My, and my ex-wife and I, uh, not my current wife, I, my, my kids are from my current marriage, but, but my ex-wife and I, you know, we had an amicable split, you know, sometimes things just don't work out and it's nobody's fault and you don't have to be angry. So I did mm-hmm. like that. They're, they're showing that with, um, with these characters and, that was again, again, another thing that I missed in Quantum Mania is the fact that we don't have those characters, those human civilian characters in this. So we don't have Judy Greer as Maggie, and she's she's great in this in these movies too. I I miss seeing her in Quantum Mania as well. Oh yeah, she's always great. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, probably the last thing I really wanted to touch on was the uh, the shrinking aspect. I love how how in, in innovative they get with the with the with the shrinking technology in ways that you don't see often even in the comic books right like him shrinking down his his lab and tearing it away in like a suitcase or uh having like the the house in the box at the end and then just resizing it up or just like having the you know all the cars <laughs> in like this in like this toy box and they just pull out whenever they need it and just being able to shrink it when they're driving it all of that stuff i thought was handled perfectly well yeah, I, I made some notes on that too because some of my notes were just like trying to like think of things to say during this uh, recording and like questioning some of it because I mean obviously again it's it's superhero comics and you got to suspend uh, d- disbelief a little bit 
But I'm also just like, well, how did that work? Like when, when Luis, she's like, oh, look in the case and pick out a car. How did he grow the car initially? I know when he's in the car, there's like a lever that can shrink it and Mm -hmm. grow it. But where did he have like pin particles or whatever to grow the car to full size in the first place? Or also, you know, that's a good point. I didn't even notice that. How do the things they shoot out like know exactly what to shrink or grow? Like, like you know, where does it start and stop with his technology with the pim shrink? Like, mm-hmm. if if you shoot it at a building, it knows to shrink everything inside it. Like, where does the connection start? Like, and also when you shrink, it knows to shrink your clothing. You know, it's like where's mm-hmm. the um how far does like this sort of aura of shrinking and growing go? So I mean, that's again, that's you know. You gotta just let it be comic stuff at that point. Right, but yeah, I'm just you know, just thinking about that with uh some of the stuff I was watching and it, it, you know, it's the, comic science is what it is. You know, just the same reason why radiation turns gives you superpowers. Yeah. Then I'm like also sometimes well, you just, weird. Oh go ahead. Sometimes you just gotta I was just gonna say sometimes you just gotta go you just gotta roll with it. <laughs> yeah, because then I was like looking at things and just again trying to think of content, you know, while we're talking uh for tonight. Mm-hmm. And I'm like who had a Hello Kitty Pez lying around? <laughs> like, is where was that from? <laughs> like, that's convenient. You know, Did they use it? At first, I thought maybe that was Cassie's, but you're right. They're not in Scott's car, so that's a good point. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I thought the all that shrinking stuff, I think, handled well. The action, again, they, they took it up a notch. Like, that was one of the things I loved about the first one was, was how well they found... They found ways to utilize and stuff that I never thought would make it into a movie, like the ants actually using real controlling the ants and all that. I thought figured when they make an Ant-Man movie, they're not going to have any of that stuff, but they do and they make it work. And I was really surprised they were able to make that work. Um, and then they they bring that back here and, and also in Quantumania, too. Right. The, I love that line when Hank comes in with me. He's like, I just like ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, core to the character and, you know, it's in his mm-hmm. name and. So uh, you might as well use it and, and embrace that, you know, really super comic booky stuff. And I mean, in Quantum Mania, especially, you're you're going you're going for it. you're swinging for the fences with mm-hmm. the the wild out there stuff of this little pocket dimension that's underneath everything. So you can go with you know giant mechanized you know ants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also one. The other final thing I want to—I just remember talking about funny moments when when Scott's suit is malfunctioning and he shrinks down to the size of a little kid. They have to give him the sweatshirt and everything, and he runs into the car, climbs in, and then and Hank's just like, "Hey, champ, how was school today?" <laughs> it is a funny scene, but it's also it's also odd because like he's not quite right of a little kid. He's like a small man that's like mm-hmm. kind of kind of the general height of a kid, but the proportions are different, and it's just kind of strange looking. But mm-hmm. yeah, I remember watching that and uh just being real silly then like the guy wants the hall pass and then he just uh-huh. runs away and he's just like kind of shrugs it's like nah, i'm not getting paid enough for this but that's this guy brian <laughs> brian uh husky he's a you know comedian people probably saw him on like the vh1 talking head shows a bunch back in like the early 2000s i actually saw him as part of i think it was a sketch group called the naked babies i don't think they were improv i think they were sketch but yeah like way back when you know before like also rob cordry who you know was on the daily show and he's done a lot of stuff he was in this group um yeah we saw them perform live back like before that these guys all went and did uh big things and then also um 
another cameo is Tim Heidecker. He's like the tour guide on the boat from Tim and Eric. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think uh, Peyton um, Reed's probably friends with him too. Um, The guy I mentioned earlier, my friend Tom Sharpley, who I went to the con with, you know, being good friends with Peyton, he was actually originally in the first Ant-Man in like a montage that got cut. And then he filmed the scene for this. He filmed the scene for this one where him and uh, his comedy partner, this guy, John Worcester, they both do these comedy bits on the radio show that Tom's the host of. They were like drivers for Sonny during the chase scene. That got cut. Mm. So he, he keeps getting cut for these movies. Then he was going to shoot a film. Uh, he was going to shoot a scene for Quantum Media, and then they're getting ready to, for wardrobe and stuff. And then they had to, it, this was, you know, within the past few years, they had to do like the mandatory COVID test and he had COVID. And so he couldn't do it. And then eventually, you know, they were going to try again. And um, then, you know, before he could even shoot something, Peyton, told him that that scene was cut so he's been cut left to right but eventually 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 they shot something and he's in quantumania for like a few seconds when bill murray's character ship is coming and he's like an alien at a table in that sort of like little cantina bar type place and like the air is blowing on him and he's like oh and so he he is in that one so he's in that movie. I remember uh, Brian Husky. I remembered him. I just had to look it up now. Uh, but I remembered him from Veep. He played that uh, uh, Leon, the the journalist who's who's always causing trouble for them. Uh, so that that's the thing I knew him most from. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, and what was I going to say too? Oh, Elias Star. I'm glad that they brought. That's another connection to Hank Pym, right? He was Egghead is his name is his supervillain name in the comics, but he was one of Ant Man's I think first villains, if I'm not mistaken, in the back in the old Ant Man comic from Tales to Astonish, and and so it was cool seeing that they had brought that connection in to to link it to one of Ant Man's uh, villains in the comics too. Wait, he was in Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, he was uh, the Ghost's father. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't know that. Didn't, didn't make that connection. So yeah, I just wasn't aware. It was not a name that was familiar. So I thought it was just like a guy. It was just a random, you know, employee. So that that's cool. But again, you know, again, it's Marvel using a name and just looking mm-hmm. in there. And is it related to the character? Is it not? Oh, just like oh. Well, the, in this case, the, it the, is because he was a he was a scientist in the comics. He was an enemy of Hank Pym's, a rival originally. So yeah, it definitely fits with that character. Just altered okay. a little bit so that they're not making him the villain. They're making uh, his daughter the villain instead. But yeah, because ba- I mean, in the comics, he's his name is Egghead, right? It's, it's yeah. kind of tough to make it. Yeah, they actually um, so they, they did, recently. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I'm it's like, the... so, you know, it's, I mean, they might do make make him a scientist type thing. But I think they were trying to avoid something because they had Darren Cross in the first one as Hank's protege. So I think they wanted to avoid retreading that same ground so instead they decided to have his daughter and have her her whole thing instead yeah i was just uh, i was just going to mention that they recently revealed a marvel legends action figure of egghead comic based so like oh it's they okay. it shows how deep they're going with some of this stuff so like of that wave it's mostly quantumania based so they have you know scott um kang and um you know the build the figure is cassie but large I forget who else is in it, but then they have a few comic ones. I would have thought the build the figure would be Modok. That would have been my <laughs> expectation. Maybe, yeah. I mean, they did a, a like a deluxe release of comic Modok not too long ago, so maybe they're spacing that out. Oh, maybe okay. they will get to a com- uh, maybe they will get to a movie one at some point, but I don't know. But um, but yeah, they have a few comic ones in there, and and for me, 
I stopped collecting the MCU figures a long time ago. It's just too much to keep up with. And I'm more Mm -hmm. devoted to the comic ones and you got to prioritize. I mean, you were talking about the sales uh, of like the trades and stuff for me right now. I can only buy Marvel legends when they're on sale. The current prices Mm -hmm. are crazy. And, you know, also I can, I can go on a whole rant about it because now Mm -hmm. like the ones they've, some of the ones they've revealed down the pike, like it looks like, you're getting less value for more money. Sometimes like you try to justify $25 per figure, but at least you're, you're getting enough stuff. But some of the ones coming out now, like the into the spider verse wave, there's not even a build a figure wave to it. And just like, maybe you get one extra pair of hands and that's it. And it just, it looks so bare bones and it's like, really, you're going to charge that much for that. And, but yeah, so my point was just they're out, they are making an egghead and, it looked appealing because it's an obscure character and you, you don't get a mm-hmm. chance to get a toy of someone like that often. But again, he's yeah. not a top priority. So if, and when I ever get him, it's going to be down the road, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I think any final things you wanted to say about Ant-Man and the Wasp? Let me just quick pull up my notes and see if there was anything else that um, I noticed. Context of, of these days when, um, you know, Bill's uh, trying to convince Ghost not to do what she's going to do towards the end. He's like, we got to find another way. And she goes, this is the way. And I'm like, oh, is she a Mandalorian? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, oh, another thing, you know, this is, again, it could be nitpicky and stuff. And they, they try to phrased in a way where it's just like just uh you know just that's it you know just ignore it what they talk about i think they did in the first movie too and then this one time works differently in the quantum realm it's just such mm-hmm. vague enough to try to let you use it to get away with it she ages in real time in the quantum realm yeah <laughs> but then they say that time works differently and then scott gets trapped there Five years, our time, what, five minutes, his time. So it works differently depending on the scenario we needed to, basically. It, it, it's whatever, yeah, it's whatever the plot calls for. Although, I understand in Scott's case, because Paul Rudd apparently doesn't age, so he could be down there for 100 years, nobody would tell. That's, that's true. And then, like, in, like, the setup for the um, the mid-credits scene, she says, like, uh, you know, Jan says, don't get sucked into a time vortex. We won't be able to save you. And that sounds like the most super foreshadowy line ever. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's supposed to be what happened to, because it's not about a time vortex. It's about them disappearing in the snap. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it just sounds like that's like hint, hint. This is exactly the thing that's going to happen. And then the post credit scene that we see, it's odd because sometimes when they did these movies, like the mid credits was the setup scene and the post credits was like a goofy joke. So in this one, we mm-hmm. get them disappearing while he's in the quantum realm still as a result of the snap, as this was between infinity war and Endgame. But then the, the post credit scene is still like in that feeling of post snap where it starts off and you're seeing the streets are empty and the house is empty and it's got like an emergency broadcast symbol signal playing on the tv and then but then it goes up and it's the big ant still playing the drums big ant. So it's like it's like it's like half serious dark moody and then also half super silly goofy joke mm-hmm. so it, it was just a very different mixed vibe watching that yeah yeah um yeah i think final thoughts like in summation i think this is a it's a fun sequel it it's not as good as the original Ant-Man. I think that's still like the best of this trilogy, but it's still a nice follow-up. Um, 
there's some definite good things in it. I thought, like, honestly, the stuff, the character stuff is the most interesting thing in, in this movie for me. Scott's interactions with with Hank and, and with Hope. Um, Hank's interactions with Bill. And we get to see a little bit more of Hank's background and, you know, kind of like his own problems. And all of that was really good. And I, I thought the... Yeah, the the stuff with the ghost, it was not as I wasn't as into that as I was in this the, the other character dynamics as opposed to the first one where I'm I, I was equally invested in both the character dynamics and the overall storyline. Yeah, yeah, you make some good points. And, you know, even in, uh, you know, they have the tension with uh, Hank and Bill, but even like they kind of reconcile towards the end and, you know, mm-hmm. everything's good and they're helping out and they're working for the good cause. And um ghost now like she goes into the wind is she in thunderbolts i think so right she's yeah gonna be in yeah they've announced that she's in thunderbolts yeah because i know she was well n- not she but ghost was in an iteration of the thunderbolts in the comics so it will be interesting mm-hmm. picking up with her seeing where she's at at this point in, in the timeline uh because again otherwise she's just been sort of like this forgotten character that you know they just now they're gonna have to fill in the gap of what's her current deal that's something I, w- I found myself wondering about at the end when we got to the end here, because, you know, in that le- in that mid credit scene, you know, Scott says they're going into the quantum realm to get these healing particles to help to help Ava. And then we hear no mention of that at all. Oh, like, yeah. There's that no was... mention of it in quantum mania and then or anything. And then and now we're going to see her in Thunderbolt. So I am wondering what's what what's going to happen to her. What's her situation going to have been? Um, did she get blipped with, or did she not get, if she did get blipped, then what is, what happened to her after she came back? So these are, I'm really curious to see how they play this up in Thunderbolts. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. Cause that thought crossed my mind too, where they have like, okay, so first Jan kind of gives her like this magical healing touch that I guess being in the quantum realm grants you, mm-hmm. but then also they st- seem to need some particles that are in there still. And then he goes in and then he gets trapped and then five years go by. So, like, that means she never gets those healing particles. So you'd have to assume that she would be blipped for the sake of Marvel and what they want to do. Otherwise, she she could, I guess, probably would have died in that time, not having access to those particles. So if they were were a necessary thing to keep her going, if the, the magic fingers didn't fully cure her of her condition, then she would have died in those five years if she was relying on the healing particles. So I would imagine she was, she was gone and then came back after Endgame. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, curious to see what they do with that. I mean, I'm curious about where they go with Thunderbolts in general, because obviously they're not going with the, the original uh, music ba- uh, Bagley uh, situation. So it seems like they're doing more the, the Ellis post civil war version where it was more of a suicide squad type thing. So uh, it'll be curious to see how they do it. Yeah, definitely. Like um, one thing that's bothered me about the MCU, especially early on was uh, how often they killed off their villains. There were a lot of one and done villains mm-hmm. outside of like Loki where it's like, yeah, you know, a lot of the Avengers movies are Avengers versus CGI army of disposable henchmen. You know, the first one was Chitauri. Second one was Ultron drones. Then it got to be a little different with Thanos and, you know, he's got some actual characters they had to fight that have names and look different. But, you know, I thought, wouldn't it have been great if they had like villains here and there and then villains team up? We get a Masters of Evil Mm -hmm. where, you know, you actually get 
a team of bad guys fighting a team of heroes where it's not like where obviously in the first Avengers, it's not like they're going to have the team fight just Loki because then there's really no contest. I mean, he could use his magic and trickery, Mm -hmm. but if he's going up against all, you know, is it six of them or five of them? Like he wouldn't stand a chance between the, you know, their combined might. So they had to give the CGI army. Um, but like if, if they had Baron Zemo and he's got, you know, a bunch of, you know, different assorted villains that had been sprinkled in earlier and now they team up cause Hey, let's pool our resources. We haven't been able to take them mm. down on our own. Uh, but yeah. And then also without masters of evil, you can't get the original intention of the Thunderbolts where they're masters right. of evil pretend, pretending to be heroes. And yeah, yeah, so I'm very curious where they're going to go in this iteration, especially because I think other people agree with it. There, maybe there could have been a better lineup with some of them. I mean, like a, like a few of them are like just like super spies. Like it's not enough mixed up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a good enough mix. You got a few characters from the Black Widow, you know, and then you got, you know, Bucky. And um, yeah, it would have been more interesting if they were a little more varied but you know hey it could be it could be really good uh, I, I just don't know what to expect with that one no i agree yeah i was um i think there would have been i wish we could have gotten a little bit more more set up for some of that and um i mean it is nice we're getting some of these characters coming in now right we're getting we're getting uh ghosts come back we're getting red guardian come back um is the abomination part of that crew? I'm I'm just double checking the cast list. I I don't, think, I so, don't but... think I don't think so. You know that that's one who would have been good probably to mix it up. That yeah. would he would have been uh, he would have been like their Hulk basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, they've got. Uh, why can't they just have this? All right. I'll, I'll look up the cast later. But yeah, I was kind of disappointed that we don't see more of who these characters are going to be. Um, but it is nice we're getting to see some of these characters coming in here and there. Like we're getting, um, you know, we had Batrock come back in uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. Unfortunately, they killed him off right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was nice to get him back for at least that little bit. Yeah. Again, so yeah, it's nice to see a villain return and you know a new thing. But then they still end up killing him out. So he got a little bit more than a lot of the villains, but still. Uh, so okay, I just pulled up at least like this sort of like concept art. So you've got Val, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like their Nick Fury leader. You got Ghost, you got Red Guardian, you got Yelena, Black Widow, you got Bucky, you got U.S. Agent, and you got Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I'd heard something, uh, Stephen Yen uh, from uh, Walking Dead is playing a character. I can't remember who he's playing off the top of my head, though. Oh, has it been revealed? or? I th- I'm not sure if it's been revealed. I thought they were talking about it, but... Um... Uh, I'm going to look that up and double check, but, uh, but yeah. And also we're getting Harrison Ford as Thunderbolt Ross, which is leading to rumors that he'll be the red Hulk in it. Red Hulk. Yeah. I mean, obviously leader of the team as well at one point. I heard he's not going to have the mustache and that's kind of disappointing. I mean, how do you do Thunderbolt Ross without the mustache? I think I saw that they, they, you know, they've started filming and I guess he doesn't have it, but, um, no, it would have been nice for consistency, but uh, and just because it's mm-hmm. very iconic with that character, except though he does lose it somehow when he turns into Red Hulk and then regrows it when that he was, turns back. Yeah, that was such a weird series. I oh that that whole storyline, uh, I hate hated it. They dragged that you know so called mm-hmm. mystery on way too long, and I thought it was a terrible character. I hated the character. Yeah, same here. I mean, 
Jeff Loeb's later later stuff has just not been up to what his earlier stuff was. Oh yeah, you got um, um yeah, some of that that what what did he do that was oh like the long Halloween and stuff like that that he did long for Halloween. DC. Oh like, yeah, that's like very revered. And then you've got Hulk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Zach, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Any anywhere you'd like to have um, uh, listeners follow you or anything like that? I mean, I'm I'm you know my name at, at Zach Walliner. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. Both of them are at Zach Walliner. I've got, you know, I've got, you know, stuff other places. Um, not too much I could think of, but otherwise, hey, keep an eye out for Zany Zach's Magical Mayhem and Zany Zach the Jolly. The, bleh, I'll start over. Keep an eye out for Zany Zach the Jolly Jester's Magical Mayhem and Puppet Pandemonium. If you have a young kid and you want a birthday party with some magic and some puppets, uh, you know, if you're in the tri-state area, I can I could be live. Otherwise, we could see about working out a web stream or something like that. So, you know, check me out and, uh, you know, I'll see if we can <laughs> do a party show for you. That's okay, about it. Great. Um, all right. Well, Zach, thanks so much for, for coming on. We'll have links to um, your social media and stuff in the show notes. Anybody who's interested can check those out. Uh, as for us, SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you sign up for the Patreon, you get these episodes a week in advance, no ads, and also you get uh, access to the Patreon show, Superhero Cinephiles Book Club, where we talk about comic books, graphic novels. Uh, we're trying to have Zach on to talk about um, Age of Apocalypse. We're trying to work out a time for that. You know, because we record these, uh, the main show so far in advance, maybe it'll already be up by that point. We'll see how things work out. Um, but anyway, that does it for us now. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.